As we sang, you forgave them then, though you punished sin. And coming into our passage, our Bible reading from Ephesians chapter 4, we can see that that is the truth. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And in him, we have been brought near. In him, punish, sin has indeed been punished. And we, for the sake of Christ, stand forgiven. This brings us into chapter 4 on this foundation. It brings us into chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 17 to 32, focusing especially on verses 17 to 24. And if you have a pew Bible, you can find this on page 1345, 1345 of your pew Bible. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if you indeed have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And, let, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We'll be focusing especially on the first portion of that, verses 17 to 24, as we look in our sermon today. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today is the first Sunday in the new year, in this new decade. And as you're looking ahead to the new year and the new decade, maybe you're considering making a few New Year's resolutions Maybe a few spiritual New Year's resolutions. Perhaps you're reading this passage from Ephesians 4 and you were thinking, you know, this list of the Apostle Paul's is a good one. Maybe I'll start there. These spiritual resolutions, are they grounded in your identity 
as a Christian? Or are they grounded in the power of your own will? I'll use a brief analogy to explain what I mean here, and this is important for our passage today. There is an eternal principle that's at work within our passage, and it's this, that children of the king change. This is something that we find throughout literature, throughout movies in our world today, and this is because our world recognizes something of this truth. It's written on the hearts of man. Those who find themselves to be children of the king must change to become who they are. One of the examples of this eternal truth that's found in much of literature and movies throughout history that may be a little too old for some of you, but thinking along this pattern, some of you boys and girls might think of a book or a movie like The Princess Diaries. Others might think of other books or movies that have a similar theme. Chronicles of Narnia with regular boys and girls becoming kings and queens and needing to learn how to live like it. Or the old story, The Prince and the Pauper, even has a bit of this same theme. The story itself is is not really important. But what the world recognizes in these stories, in this pattern that we see coming around again and again and again. That is what's important. And it shows that there's something that's written on the heart of man. The premise of one of those is this. That there is a normal-looking girl who's simply living the life of a teenager in some downtown city in the United States. But her whole life changes when her grandmother shows up and discovers that she is not who she thought she was. She's the daughter of a king in a fictional kingdom in Europe. And that king has passed away. Suddenly, she is an important figure in the royal line of succession to the throne. In one moment, her whole life changes. The entirety of her life is suddenly spun around to focus around learning how to live as a child of the king. That's the question that's laid before her. My life has changed. My identity has changed. I'm no longer just a teen growing up in some random part of the United States. My life has a meaning that goes beyond simply who I am as a person. How do I live in this new identity? Do I live within this new identity or do I just walk away? That's a big question. It's a deeply profound question. And that's one which is written on the hearts of man, that sons and daughters of the king cannot remain the way that they are. In the world of fiction, they must learn to walk differently, to talk differently, not to walk on the grass, to wave the royal wave, and more. You can walk away in a covenantal sense. Don't confuse this with the doctrine of election. You can walk away from your identity as a child of the king. You can run away and leave it behind, but you need to run away and leave it all behind if you are going to remain unchanged. If you desire to remain unchanged, you must run away 
from your identity. If you do not leave it all behind, you cannot remain as a child of the king and remain unchanged. Now, if society recognizes this to be true, how much more should we not recognize this to be true? Recognizing this this principle that's woven throughout Scripture. Christians as sons and daughters of the king cannot remain the way that they were. You don't do the royal wave. And you might not have the same rules around not walking on the grass. That's true. But even so, your identity is what calls you to change. And we'll see this under the following theme. Christian, your identity as a child of the king means change. One of the first questions that we will deal with today is, does this passage in Ephesians apply to me? The reason this is a question is that the Apostle Paul is talking to an audience that is a group of adult converts. They've been brought by God out of darkness into light. And this might make it a bit of a challenge for some of us to relate to what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, he says in the opening words of our passage. A Gentile is one who is not a Jew. He's speaking to a church that's made up of a majority of non-Jewish converts, followers of Jesus Christ. And they are coming out of a group of other non-Jews in the city of Ephesus to follow the Lord's Jesus Christ. Now, as a young person, if you've been raised within the covenant community, in a, a Christian home, you may think, no longer? I never really had that experience of living like someone who doesn't believe before coming to Christ. I don't feel like I have walked as other people without a Christian background do. In fact, when I I work with them or when I interact with them at the public school or in the workplace, I feel out of place. If this is you, then praise God for that. Your home, by God's grace, was a home that was shaped by kingdom living. It instilled in you, which is to say it it put in your heart as you were being raised up in the fear of God's name. It instilled in you different values from the rest of the world. Biblical values. Values that are different than many others around you today. And that is something to thank God for. But that being said, this passage still speaks to you. Whether you come out of a life in which you've seen that big shift, or whether you've grown up within a Christian home, this passage still speaks to you. While you may not have necessarily had that vivid experience of being brought from darkness into light, although some of you may have had that anyways, even being raised in a Christian home, The Holy Spirit still has something to teach us as Christians sitting in the pew today. And that's that we have two natures. 
The one that's described in here in verse 22 is the old man. That's a picture for the sinful part of ourselves that we're constantly fighting against. If we indulge in sinful lusts, as our passage says, if we entertain them and we give them opportunity, we we let them grow, then the old man will grow in power. If we entertain sin, if we indulge sin, then it'll be harder to fight with time. And that's what the Holy Spirit teaches us when it speaks of the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful desires, verse 22. Every Christian on this side of death has this old man within themselves. Don't feed this sinfulness, the Holy Spirit teaches us. Don't give it food to let it grow more corrupt. Instead, put on the new man, which was created according to God, verse 24. So, how does this apply to me then? What does this look like? Is it as simple as coming to this new year and deciding, I'm going to have a few New Year's resolutions. I'm going to change my behavior. Well, it actually goes deeper than that. If this passage applies to you, which if you are a Christian, it does, you need to reflect on this as well. What is it that motivates me to change? And this brings us to the second thing we'll consider, which is that an identity is more than just a resolution. So what is a resolution? You might think of it in terms of New Year's resolutions, which is what a lot of people talk about coming into the new year. A resolution is just a promise that you make to change your behavior. It's as simple as that. But what the Holy Spirit is teaching us here today is that there's more to our passage than just making a promise to yourself. He says you are called to put on the new man. The new man is your new identity. And that's what we read in verse 21, right? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, and you put on the new man. Now, the, the author of this letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, his point here is not that they've actually been personally taught by Jesus, which they obviously have not. They are Gentiles, which is to say they're non-Jews. They live in Ephesus, which if you go by highway today is nearly a 23-hour drive by car from Jerusalem. And they had no reason to be in Judea at the time of Jesus' life. But if they received the teaching of Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul, and through the other apostles, he's saying here today that you have been taught by Christ. There's a lot more to it that we could talk about, but we won't today. Suffice it to say that the same is true for you today as well. If you have received the teaching of Christ from the pulpit, you have been taught by Christ. And Christ teaches you that you do not continue in the way of flesh. 
You don't continue in the old pattern which fits in a life that lives in opposition to God. Verse 20, right? You have not so learned Christ. That's not the way that you learned Christ, that you can just continue to live in a way that's in opposition to God. Instead, he teaches you that you put on the new man. You put on a new identity, the identity that Jesus Christ has given you. An identity as a son or daughter of God. John chapter 1 verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but children born of God. He gives you a new identity as a son or daughter of the king. You are not learning new royal protocol, you might say, royal behavior. The things that are laid out here in Ephesians chapter 4. You are not learning royal protocol in order to become a child of the king. You are learning this royal protocol because you are a child of the king. Your body becomes a walking, talking temple devoted to him, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. And with that new identity comes the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in your heart. And therefore, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, because you are a child of the Most High God, a child of the King, this means that change is inevitable. This is the third thing we'll look at. Your new identity is given to you in this way, that Jesus came to save sinners, us sinners, from the guilt and the penalty of our sins. Jesus came to save us from the right anger of God against sin. He came to save us from hell. But more than just saving us, he puts us back into a right relationship with God. You believe in him. You confess him as your Lord. And that confession also marks him as having laid claim to you. It marks the first change in what begins as your new identity, the new man living in you, because you wouldn't be able to make a true confession without the Holy Spirit living within you. Now, because of Jesus God delights in you. Are you in the pew today and you are not yet a Christian? Then this can be true for you as well. All who put their trust in Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord in the strength that he gives us, repent, which is to say, turn away from sins, you will receive the righteousness of God, the forgiveness of God. 
He makes true repentance possible because his Holy Spirit, who put that confession in our mouths in the first place, also lives within us, changing us and shaping us to live in line with this new identity. So that's the main point here, that your new identity means that change is inevitable. The question that now remains is, how are you going to change? You can try to simply change by sheer force of will. You can look at the list that the Apostle Paul describes here in this letter in verses 25 to 32 as he writes to the Ephesians and say, I'll start here. I think I'm going to be less angry this year. Or I'm going to stop swearing. Or I'm going to deal with my bitterness. I'm going to be a more kind and forgiving person. Then I will become a better person. You'll find it doesn't work so well when you approach it from that angle. From sheer force of will. And just looking at the pattern of New Year's resolutions, we can recognize this, can't we? A study conducted by the University of Scranton discovered that just 19% of people are keeping their New Year's resolutions by the two-year mark. And even the 19% who kept it admitted to having slipped during that time. That doesn't bode very well for the other 81% of us, does it? You can try sheer force of will, and you'll be reminded pretty quickly that much of your will is still bound up in your old nature, that you struggle against in your old nature. Sinful patterns of life that are bound up by a lifetime of habit are hard to kill. So how do we look long-term? Our passage reminds us today that this isn't accomplished by sheer force of will, but it's accomplished through recognizing and gaining strength from and living out your new identity in Christ. I am a son or daughter of the King. And Jesus is teaching me through his word Verse 20, Jesus is teaching me what it looks to act like one. It's not based off of how strong my will is, but it's based on what's called in this passage the new man that's living inside of me. There is already a new man living inside of me. It's based on my new identity, my new identity in Christ. This is the fourth thing we'll look at. To consider and to understand this, we need to remember what part of the book of Ephesians this is written in. To understand what a change in behavior based off of a new identity looks like, we need to understand what part this, uh, of the letter to the Ephesians this is written in. It's written in the second half. The second half of the book of Ephesians cannot be had apart from the first half. And this is very, very important. When you are reading through the letter to the Ephesians, 
And when you're reading through many other letters in the New Testament, you need to keep this in mind. You cannot separate the halves of the letter. You need to recognize the second half of the letter as being based off of that first half. Now, why is that important? Because the first half of the book is all about who we are in Christ. You may have reflected on this a little bit as we were earlier uh, this last year, actually, now, as we were working our way through the letter to the Philippians. And you were thinking, as we're working our way through the first half of the letter, he's just preaching grace and preaching grace. Well, that's because the whole first half of the letter there, as here, is all about grace. And what follows there in action comes out of that. And you have to recognize this as you come to the letter. You may have heard the two halves of the book of of this particular letter to the Ephesians described in this way. Now, chapters 1 to 3 as the indicative, the indicative, and chapters 4 to 6 as the imperative. If you haven't heard of that, don't worry, I'm about to explain it. The indicative is what is. The imperative is what we do. The indicative, this is a Bible. The imperative, read this Bible. So in this letter to the Ephesians, the indicative is what those who trust in and those who learn from Jesus are. It just describes what is for you. If you learn from, if you trust in Jesus and he's your Lord, this is true in this first half of the book. You are predestined before time. Ephesians chapter 1, which is to say chosen by God before the foundation of the world. You are redeemed in Christ. Chapter 2, you are dead in sin, but you have been made alive again. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. Christ is our cornerstone on whom we rely. Chapter 3, you have been bought in this way for a purpose. You have been bought in this way for the glory of God. Because glory, the glory of God is our purpose in this life. In this book, the indicative is who we are. This is who you are. This is true in Christ Jesus. The imperative now is what we do. We cannot have that second half without the first half. So the driving motivator here is that first half. It's not based off of, I'll work hard and then I'll become a better person. It's based off of this new person. This new man living within me is who I am. Think of those stories. The stories that we looked at earlier. I can walk like a royal. I can try to talk like a royal. I can try to act like the son or daughter of the king. 
but that won't get me into Buckingham Palace. Until I am bought the first half of Ephesians and have the Holy Spirit living within me, that will not be who I am. I will just be somebody who is trying to act differently, someone who is trying to change their behavior. But when I know that I am a son or daughter of the king, I have been adopted, John 1 verse 12 again. I have been given a new identity, clothed in the true righteousness and holiness of Christ. Verse 24 of our passage. And I am being taught how to live in that identity. Chapter 4, verse 20 to 21. I won't be going across the ocean to a new world and a new life in some fictional king in Europe. But I will be taught and trained to live as a child of the king in this life. And I am being prepared to go across the ocean of death, you might say, to a new world in which I will reign with him eternally. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12. If I know that, then I will change and be changed as I prepare for and am prepared for this eternal reality. My identity today and my future hope is what calls me to change. But what happens when I fail? What happens when I sin? When I fall short? Though I confess Christ as Lord and I hate my sin, I still find myself back there again. The beautiful thing is that my identity is not in my sin. My identity is not found in that old nature. When I fail and I have sinned as one who did not belong to Christ, if I failed and when I failed and sinned as one who did not belong to Christ, I'm headed to hell. And this is true for all who are apart from Christ. But that is not who I am today. My identity is in Christ. When I fail and when I sin as a child of God, there is something that will change in the way that I look at my failure. It won't be my identity that hangs in the balance. Think of all those stories. A young prince or princess king or queen doesn't have their identity as a child of the king taken away from them just because they sin, just because they make mistakes. The same is true in our Bible passage today. We are not spoken of in the second half of the book as those for whom the first half of the book hangs in balance. If you don't have the second half of the book. If you don't carry out the second half of the book, you're going to lose that first half. That's not how it speaks. If you are truly a Christian, the first half of the book is yours. The indicative is true. And now we learn how to live in light of the truths we learned in the first half of the book. 
So how does this change the way that I look at my sin? When I begin to live like a child of the king and I fail, how does this change things for me? It means that as a Christian, I can take advantage of the indicative that comes with being a Christian. This is the benefit that's been bought for me as an adopted child of God, as a royal son or daughter. I can run to Jesus. If there is one New Year's resolution, let your biggest be this. Let me run to Jesus when I fail. And in Jesus Christ, I can find forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, I can be reminded again of that indicative. I can be reminded again of my identity. And I can be encouraged and strengthened to get up one more time in the power of the Holy Spirit and to fulfill that imperative. So beloved of God, remember this. As a child of God, I must change. To stay unchanged and to continue to live as the Gentiles do, this is not how you learned Christ. Verse 20. But if I truly confess Jesus Christ as Lord, if I truly believe in him, and I hold fast by his grace, I do not learn royal protocol to become a child of the king. Instead, having been renewed in the spirit of my mind, verse 23, having a new mind and a new nature put in me, which acknowledges who I am in Christ, I learn royal protocol. I fulfill that imperative. I love and I am obedient because I am a child of the king. Christ's blood has bought me. And now by the grace of God in verse 24, I put on that new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen.